All right, everybody, it's November. That means it's actually time for the Bad Christian Roadshow. I'm on a plane as we speak, headed to Nashville, where we play uh, on the 8th. And then we're going to Greensboro on the 9th and the 10th in Lynchburg, Virginia, and the 11th in Teaneck, New Jersey, and the 13th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and 14th in Brooklyn, that's New York, and the 15th in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is in Pennsylvania. And Akron, you know what state that's in? Ohio. We're going to be there on the 16th in Louisville, Kentucky on the 17th we are out and about i'm talking about the bad christian podcast on the road joey and everybody in these clubs and guess who we're playing with emory the band the rock band the emo band the screamo band uh he's legend vocal few and tyson motzenbacher we're gonna be doing a ton of great stuff get your tickets if you forgot last minute get them now bcroadshow.com is where you get those tickets come see the emory and he is legend rock show with the bad christian podcast live it's going to be a lot of fun so we'll get right to it and today's show is sponsored by honeybook you can get 50 percent off your first year of honeybook by going to honeybook.com and use the promo code bad christian let's do it oh hell yeah god showed up give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever f- talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extrovert. No, girl. It's my flesh. I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Three, two, one. Today's podcast boom, 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 boom. comes to you with boom, the BC boom, Club. Boom, the boom, BC Club is boom, our sponsor, boom, and boom, we love boom, them boom, very boom, much. Bad Christian BC <laughs> Club, the Bad Christian Club, Bad Christian Club, oh, Bad Christian All right, Club. that's true. We got the roadshow coming up next week. My God. We're a week out from that. It's almost Halloween. My now. Lord. We got the next couple heaven, weeks we'll be on the God. road show. And the most exciting thing being that with the launch of the road show, the Emory album yeah. finally releases yeah. on November 9th. Oh, Congratulations, my God. The fellas. wait is over. Yeah, well, Toby's just been talking about how the setup of this record has been so good. And I think he's totally right about that yeah. because. Thank you. I mean, really, it's because we were in control of it. But that's not to say that. We're the ones that always would have known how to release a record or anything. It's just we kind of know how to get the message out, at least in the way that matches the music. The artwork thing has been successful, and we get to choose, you know, what song and and how do we talk about it. We can premiere it on this outlet and be very serious for a minute, but we can stay goofing off the whole time and have powerful songs. And it kind of feels like that's interesting. Like what y'all have done to promote. Tooth and Nail back in the day wouldn't have stepped in and said, you can't do that, but they would say, here's some other things you need to do. Well, how does it's just that work? More, well, nobody knew. I mean, it always changes how things work. But back in that day, there was different things that would make albums big, like getting on end caps in stores. Yeah, right. And we can't do that, and it doesn't matter anyway. But in that time, they were very good at that. But there'd be, you know, when you get a team and committees and these best practices of you need to release the most pop song first that reaches the most people yeah. and turn it, then you start to, there's some connection lost. It's just like in Hollywood, there's all these produced shows and movies, and there's like no real soul behind it. It's like a product. Like at some point, if you have too many people trying to make creative decisions, something will be lost. Yeah. But if you're a young, dumb talent and you don't know how to do anything, then you need help. And, you know, so it's just always ne- negotiating that. But at this point, you know, 
is possible for an artist to kind of control everything about their career. Yeah. There's something lost there, and we do a terrible job of keeping up with it and putting enough behind it. We don't have the budget to do all the things. Right. But the way it comes across is how we wanted it to come right. across. That feels good, and this is the first album that we've ever like felt like what we're trying to say and do is happening, and people get it and like it or don't like it, but they have been presented it in a way that feels perfect. Uh, serious, not serious, personal. You know, it's just been really, it's been been very good so far. I'm very excited for it to finally come out, and it does come out with the launch of the BC yeah. Roadshow next week. So that's we're getting real close to that. Yeah, and and it's just getting heavier and heavier to bear the weight of the criticism of the fans. <laughs> 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 they love the music. It's awesome. It's just amazing. And then the artwork is making people blow their minds. And brain, you know, just losing their minds in good ways and bad ways. And the songs are deep. So it's really crazy, too. Some of this, the lyrics, I was concerned about these lyrics. And then sometimes I've seen a bunch of people recently when I've been reading, uh, you know, social media, that they actually really, the lyrics are super powerful to them, more powerful than I thought they would be. Well, that's because kind of you got to, to like, you're worried about the quality or no, the controversy. No, not quality. Chill. I just thought, well, our, I mean, I, this is our seventh album, right. so I'm like, am I out of lyrics? Did I? Am, is this dumb? Am I, am I being <laughs> stupid? Out. Like the things that I'm writing here, I hope are really good. They're m- meaningful to me. Are they still going to be meaningful to the person that bought the weeks in all those years ago? And so there, there's some. It seems like a lot of folks are going, yeah, it's really good. That that is a big thing for me. If people think our lyrics are good, that is very valuable to my ego. Yeah. It's real important. And so, <laughs> for like sure. for a good example of that is we do, you know, we do this podcast so we goof off and get to show our music and we're not serious or whatever. But then we got to play on this right. podcast a while back, the Gay is Okay song, and explain the lyrics. The and it was not out anywhere else. So the only way you could hear the song, you have to hear Toby's like brutal honesty of why he wrote the lyrics and the thing he was struggling with. The only way that you can get the song is to have to be confronted with him talking about what it is. Right. That's so cool. I don't know if it sells more records or whatever, but right. it definitely increases the meaning yeah. for people and for us. So that's a good example of something that's just, wow, this is a good way to do it. Do you think as as the podcast has kind of been a narrative of our changing yeah. as people, as Emory albums, to you, when you think about the lyrics, have they represented your progression of beliefs I, that, along the I way? I mean, it's like we've said a million times. It, I, guarantee, I know it's biographical. I guarantee you there's so many people that think, oh, my gosh, that Emory, they're still so Christian, and they're just so, you know, whatever. And then the other people think we are just completely progressive and have pushed away and don't don't care about the Bible or God's word or the church. I've seen a lot of those comments. Toby thinks he – I saw one comment like, I think I'm higher than the church. <laughs> is ideal because one of the songs is about homosexuality just an experience i had I just presented an idea that i had and that and that person goes well toby thinks he's bigger than the church and more important than the bible and stuff i'm just like holy cow what is going on here i think it does show if you look from the first record to now there obviously the cliche thing to say is we are more mature but we are so i'm looking at maybe even similar issues on this album, but I'm saying it in a way now from an older person's perspective. There couldn't be a worse, probably, way to judge the contents of a person's mind than a song they wrote from a fictional point of view of a person. Like, you know, right. I mean, like to, to take right. a sets, eight sets of lyrics, you know, that are lyrics, right. that are some form of poetry that is biographical or, or from, written from something or from some point of view. 
you have a podcast with thousands of hours of you talking about your views on the church and homosexuality. Right. That, that's a better way to know right. what Toby thinks than you did an exploration in a yeah. song of somebody else's point of view. Right. Like as if that is definitive on who you are, what you actually think about. That, like, right. But it, on the other level, you actually affect somebody more by making it in a form of beauty and art instead of you right. just yapping, yapping, yapping. So that's also and what is anybody fun. scared of a good story? Right. That's what I was trying to write. A yeah. good story to make you think. And then you can make your conclusion. I'm not telling you to come up with conclusions. I'm just saying what I, I had an experience. I want to tell you about it. It's just crazy. But what what are people trying to accomplish when they put themselves out there publicly just to tell you that, that you I don't shouldn't take have it written, that bad. written? I don't such take and it such. that bad. Like you, it's just like us criticizing the football yeah. coordinators. It just it's no different than that. But right. you wouldn't take the time to tweet to a coordinator saying, "I can't believe well, the schemes you're know. running." But I'm just yeah, saying, it the, does seem obnoxious. You would take the time to like why? to write on my Facebook, but right. it, but, but but that's <laughs> just, just, just like leave no, you alone. tagging me in it. Leave you that, alone. I Let, see <laughs> that as just manners, though. That's just a social norm. Like should you <laughs> like true. like we if we're at a party around 80 people and we're t- we criticize the offensive coordinator openly. Right. Don't feel, you don't feel bad about it. Like Dustin releases a new song for Thrice. I'll tell people it sucks or it's awesome or whatever. I don't nobody think like I think he's just being this or doing this. I mean, that's totally fine for somebody to say. It is beyond what I think is reasonable manners I'm, to post online to the person who wrote like that's what I'm obnoxious, saying, but well, that's all it's the same type of feelings you have about art and entertainment and stuff all the time. Yeah, well know? what I'm what I'm saying though, and it'll be hard to come up with a good example because I'm not uptight with things like this, but let's just say I'm listening to Science Michael, one of his podcasts, and he says something that I'm like, man, that's kind of uncharacteristic of him. I don't like that he said that. You wouldn't I'm go not going him. to hit right. stop and then right. look right. up his contact and go on right. Twitter yeah. and say, man, what's wrong? You think you're better right. than God? I, I don't, just, but see, I defend, I mean, I think that's dumb and I wouldn't do that, but that's maybe easy for me to say. Like it's people a culture, listen it's, to my voice. It's an like, age thing too. Yeah, it's just it becoming is. more and more. But, but I have an out, I mean, I feel free to express myself and I'm, I have a healthy dose of that because I have a podcast and you know what I mean? Like if I didn't feel like anybody listened to me and I knew something, I can see how that would be difficult and painful, and you need to. You feel like I got at least eighty yeah. people or two hundred people on this thread will hear my criticism here. That's I mean, I talk shit on people all the time. I feel that that need is filled in my life. Right. I get to talk shit on people. People listen to it and tell me if I'm right or wrong. That's probably what a lot of online commenters are seeking. It's just like I feel like I know something. And I have to share it, and they just want the attention. You know, so it's easier for me to say. Yeah. But of course, I think it's obnoxious and silly and usually unfounded points. And what do you, I mean, there's some people that probably get off on actually trying to harm the person and make right. them feel bad or change. Or they've, people are doing this thing now where they're always saying, but you have to stand for something. Right. And that, what that means is say something anything. obnoxious on the internet. Like, right. that, I don't think that's what that means when, like, but you had to stand for, I don't know. So all that stuff is going on, but, but it's exciting and anyway, fun. Anyway, I don't want to be negative either. It's yeah. overwhelmingly it's positive. And I think those, some, some of those people are just writing it. And, and that's the thing that my brain has been consumed with the most in the world, how easily it is to diminish. That is a piece of art that took a long time to make. Right. A long time. We went back and forth with different things. In fact, that song specifically, the, our, our song Gay is Okay, it's a longer title, but that's the short, short, short way to say it. Um, Matt didn't even really like it when we got really close to the finished product. Right. He was like, he and, he, and he did sure. not know exactly how to approach me with it. We wondered, would I be so in? Because I love that song. I love the way it sounds and everything. Matt made a comment. The first verse is changed because Matt was like, hey, what if you sing the first verse 
in a lower octave. Right. And I was like, well, uh, I, yeah, I could try that. And it actually made the song better, meaning even almost literally before we were about to say, yeah, the song's done, Matt goes, let's change this one last thing. And that had been year, uh, uh, almost years in, in, a, in the process of, of getting to that thing. And so it does make it crazy when after years of all this stuff, even if you hate something, you would just be able to go somewhere and go, well, this sucks. or so, You know what I mean? Like yeah. no thought or anything like that. Like, And it's crazy because we keep making stuff and that's part of it. Well, let's move on and be. Uh, by move on, I mean people love the record, though. I don't yeah, want to yeah, sound the, negative. My God, and by move on, I want to move there's on. There's only to one even, person. <laughs> I want to move on to even further criticism oh, of us <laughs> from other people, but in a different realm. So I do want to say, go to thebcroadshow.com. We'll see y'all next week. The Emory album will be out. You can pre-order it now. By the way, how yes. about this tidbit? If you go pre-order a copy now, we'll give you the whole thing right now, so you can hear the whole album an hour from now. If you just go pre-order it right yeah. now, you get the digital instantly, or I think mm. instantly. And so you and there's like 15 tracks on there. They're all coming your way right now. If you want them, that'll be up to you. So yep. a while back we were, and the, this whole thing's about. Um, a while back we asked some people. Or I asked some people about people leaving the BC club because yep. people say stuff is like, well, it's an echo chamber. You're in your echo chamber, right. which I always say I don't feel like it's an echo chamber because of how little the people agree in it, which I like. But I did say, if there's anybody that wants to let us know when you did leave, why? Because yeah. I think that's interesting, because I think the group it is, is so important and so good. And helpful, I mean. And it grows so know. much. If all we had to do to make it... And the, we asked for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. That's totally yeah. good. So we're, I want to actually get to share some so of that. This is feedback. actually valuable, too, because people did take the time. We asked them, and they actually did take the time. Yeah, which, it. and I have, like, I don't... I have so much respect for someone, like, some of the people that I've emotional? corresponded... <sighs> not... <laughs> Not a second ago, but when you mentioned it, it turned there. Okay. But like some of the people that have reached out in response to Matt's request to give this information, oh. I really respect the fact that they said, I, I, I went so far as to join the and club. And pay money. Because and pay they money. Like, you're right. Now I'm out, but I don't need to say anything. Yeah. It's just, and it doesn't. What they have to say, you should very well listen yes. to yeah. because they know yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. I, I, I thank the Lord right. for each and every one I, of you. I, right. I love them. So, you know, I forgive them. Let, I tell you what, yeah. the, but like I said, just even from a numbers game, we read those names every week of how many people join the BC club. And to me, the obvious growth strategy is well, we're growing like crazy. All we got to do is maybe slow down people leaving. Like, that's yeah. the easiest fix. Yeah. Like, what? What I'd could we do to make to go it better, to hell you know? for two seconds and then realize just BC for a so reminder that hey the BC club's important. Here's right. hell for two seconds. <laughs> oh man, that was the BC worst club thing is ever. Actually, pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to read these because I can't read very well. Read, but, I'll read let Toby read. But here's okay. here's one somebody sent him. You can start wherever you want, or okay. summarize, or whatever you want to do. Let me get my bifocals on. This is somebody who yeah. was in the BC club left yeah. and is now saying why. What you know, it's just oh, invited open criticism of us and our community, and I love it. All right, and this is uh, Ken Stevens at Ken Stevens is an asshole dot gmail dot com. <laughs> uh, I recently heard Matt say on a podcast that he was genuinely interested in what an ex paying member's reason would be for leaving the BC club. Uh, that it wasn't financial hardship. He said, "My apologies because I wasn't sure how to reach him." Ah, uh, this is getting boring. In brief, if Matt would be interested in a member's blunt experience, I'd say it was twofold. I found it harder and harder to identify with three the three personalities uh, on the podcast or the deconstructing Facebook pages. 
and because the whole thing seemed to have steered its own form of self uh, into its own form of self-aggrandizing cult. Oh wow! We became a self-aggrandizing cult. He says. Oops! Uh, didn't see that coming, or very perceptive. Uh, I've been an Emory fan since the question. Didn't like the week's end. Apparently, listen to the almost uh, listen to almost every single podcast. So this is not at all coming from an overly spiteful, critical place. But yes, it began to grate the ears to hear so much of the podcast runtime be dedicated to. Look what we've done. Look how many people we have. Look at how wow. we're still on the air, bigger than ever. Matt says he despises these branded personalities, but with all the time dedicated to self-reflected awe and wonder, it leaves less for interesting conversations and guests. Secondly, flat out, the hmm. BC Facebook page is a mini-celebrity circus where it's very hard to fit in, follow the inside jokes, or make the cool list. It's meant for a lot of people without a home but I couldn't find one there. All in all, I continue to listen to the podcast, support the boys, buy Emory albums, go to shows, etc. And this is only one man's opinion, but there wasn't enough worth in the price of the club, I hate to say. That might sound tough and rude. I'm sorry, but I appreciate so much what's happening and can't wait to hear the new record. Thanks all. Dang, that's interesting. It's, that, a, nice, it's so, a nice fella. Yeah. I, mean, I, I dislike I him, and I hope he doesn't have a good day. Yeah. But super nice I guy. I hope he swallows something and maybe yeah. has to go to the emergency I, room, I but hope, doesn't die. Yeah, but I hope he fine. is in danger yeah. today. Not death Not death danger, right, but I hope right. he's in danger. Yeah. Don't want him to die. Hell of a guy. Sweet dude. Yeah. Right. I hope something terrible happens. I would even be cool with him thinking he may die. Don't yeah. want him to die. Don't want him to die, mm-hmm. but I like the thought of what if. Like the mental trauma I would love for him to experience. Don't want him to die. He said he wanted more deep. Deeper conversation, less self-aggrandizing. I'm a piece of shit. I hope he has a terrible day. Right. <laughs> right. He's right. It is I, interesting. This podcast is awful. I hope that. Oh, we're done with that joke. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting though because when he talks about the numbers and everything, the only thing that I can think of is when you say the BC Club is growing. Can't believe you know, like you you talk about mm-hmm. this just makes me so happy. I'm doing what we right. wanted to do. Like and then Toby would say, you know, just thousands of people are, li- you know, those sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, I guess that's sure. what he's talking about. Yeah. But to me, that just comes with the tor- territory of the three of us being like, wow, right? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I take what he's saying there, and you can tell. I mean, he's not wrong that it's it is something in my brain to say things in a good and positive, encouraging way. Yeah, that's the way I talk to anybody about anything if i want everybody listening to feel good which i do right. it's not so much of but I, you know i just try I, my, my way of looking at that is also balance it out by put let's let i really appreciate what he wrote right he's probably right i will certainly be more keenly aware of when i feel like may this be perceived as self-aggrandizement mm-hmm. that will flash in my head next time i'm saying something and right. i'll say should i temper this or I oh, fuck that guy this right. is badass i don't know which but it will flash in my head now yeah. i take i yeah. take that I appreciate that. He's still buying our albums. He gets yes. it. He may be right about many things. Yeah. So I'm certainly not going to say anything to oppose his critique of the BC club and yeah. how hard it was to get through because, you know, to right. get into that community because that's his experience. Right. But I will say this, as far as the cult comment, just personally, it seems that a lot of times when people say cult towards a group of people, it could just be very good community, and society's not used to that. Society's not used to really good community, so it's like, whoa, cult. 
mean, those guys like really care about each other. They're always on there talking, and it may just be good community, yeah. not cult. For the most part, cult doesn't stick with us because of the radical uncontrolled nature of right. th- what we do and who we control, which is right. like nobody at all. Yeah. That's, that's pretty uncharacteristic right. of, of the cult. I, I, I read, reading his critique, it feels a little bit, like I said, I think he actually is a nice guy. I'm glad he took the time. I do appreciate people take the time. It feels a little like he's saying he didn't feel this way. He didn't connect. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't. So it must be something I don't like. It's also good for you know the club, I mean? the people in the yeah. club to hear. I mean, look, I mean, you pay attention to how you treat people. Right. There's people in there that want to connect with y'all and they think that's you're true. playing a popularity contest. Like, that's not very, but also, that's what he took it, but from also, it. But also, in defense yeah. of the BC Club, if I don't know what you're posting or what you're saying, but you can post as much as you want or not as much as you want to. You can interact as much as you want. So if you're thinking it's the, these people are popular and I'm not or something like that, I don't know what that looks like. If that's a real issue, but it, Post as much. You, is, there's not a limit on people. Don't get pushed to the top. Only anybody can. It's but. just like any social. Anyway, let's move on to one more too. Um, I got another one here, and I actually responded to to this dude. But uh, are we going to read Mark Driscoll's? He joined and yeah. backed out. <laughs> Driscoll, <laughs> I'd love to hear his, his experience <laughs> with the BC Club. Mark, there would be nothing actually more satisfying than to me is if. Somebody just sat down over beers with Mark and said, "So, what do you think about bad Christian?" And he just get he just said everything he did think or no. Yeah. That would be so satisfying. To this hear. one's funny. <laughs> this one's funny because it start. It's almost like a little. Uh, uh, it's it a little bit of a dig right from the beginning. Uh, he talks about I was listening and heard this. He said I would consider myself part of that category of you know it was. He said even though I had originally unsubscribed because of money, now that I have money. I wouldn't resubscribe. <laughs> he says, one reason is too much deconstruction, mm-hmm. but seemingly no reconstruction. Mm-hmm. I started listening back in 2014 when I was going through a rough patch and I was able to relate with y'all where you were, uh, what you were doing at the time. And it was really relieving uh, thing to have y'all's podcast. I guess it was so comforting to hear y'all be so solid in your faith and vulnerable at the same time. At first, y'all were sure of things, but now y'all seem not uh, to be not so, as sure y'all used to affirm things and now mostly disagreeing with things it's just the atheist formula of belief just swap out theist with evangelical granted i haven't listened to the last 100 episodes or so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's probably gotten worse for, from his point of view uh, i do I like to listen to the ones that are titled with something spiritual so he's picking out ones that he likes and right. if it doesn't fit what he likes which is Fine. That's what you that's do with podcasts. What anybody does with that's, any that's podcast. That's what I do. Right, but right. That, that's what I'm saying. So you are looking. Everybody when they listen to podcasts is looking for what they like. It's about them. Uh, number two was the authority of the Bible. It just seems like y'all don't ever read the Bible. The only time I've ever heard the Bible is when y'all do the wicked scripture, not twisted scripture. Wicked, the wicked scripture. scripture. <laughs> called twisted scripture, sir. But y'all talk about theology a lot, and I sort of get it because y'all are a evangelical. Uh, a evangelical, I don't know exactly what he's saying there, but um, so the point of it all seems to me to be to criticize evangelicals. That's great. Everyone should ch- be challenged to do that. I like Matt McDonald episode because it kind of reminded me, he goes on, uh, but he says, a lot of the criticism is based on experiences instead of the actual Bible. It usually sounds something like evangelicals typically do say, think, whatever, but we think it's wrong because Jesus is love and love is God and people don't feel loved when that happens. Or the usual, God is so big and busy, he probably doesn't care. Or or how inconsiderate can someone be to think to bother God with something as little as a parking space? He says, right or wrong, none of the criticism is backed up by anything biblical. Number three, he goes, not interested in other topics. I really liked when y'all got bands from Tooth and Nail 
to come on your show, but recently I've just been not been interested in those episodes, so I would skip them. I have no problem with them. It's your show, but I'm just not into them. You know? mm-hmm. He says, y'all, y'all don't seem, last one I'll do here, uh, y'all don't seem to affirm objective truth. It's clear that the Bible does affirm objective truth, but people like Science Mike and Dan Koch and y'all seem to be leaning towards subjective truth, which seems to just to be just a clinical, philosophical way of saying, I am God which is incredibly oversimplified, but it's accurate, is yeah. what he says. So this one's interesting because, you know, we did an episode last week about the church and corruption there and stuff like that. Oh, I, this is so interesting. I got something I want to say, too, but yeah, I just and, interrupted you for yeah, no reason. No, it's I'm okay. Sorry. I'm just setting up, like, where we, we got just a few more minutes we could talk about this. But, you know, we talked last week about the church corruption and what that means because from my point of view, you have to stay ever I'm vigilant against the things that are going wrong or people are just buying or going along with, you got there's got to be people that do the harder work or natural work. It's not hard. Maybe it's even entertaining and fun for, for yeah. me to push back at authority, to look at it, to question it, to make sure it makes sense, to say, are you sure we believe this? If not, why? Did, maybe something's changed. You have to do that. I don't think of that as negative. I don't even think of it as deconstruction like even as much as I used to. It's just I'm in a place where I'm... And this is where I di- like kind of disagree with here. He wants to say we lean to the place of subjective truth, like like as if I'm some proponent for everybody should do what they feel and right. observe their truth. And there is no object. I mean, my gosh, I'm yeah. trying to get at objective truth as hard as I can, and that overly subjective bullshit is horrific to me. Like I I feel like there's enough math and numbers at the bottom of this to actually sort things out. That is my impulse and. People are very too subjective in giving credit to the institutions yeah. and the authorities and the systems they grew up. Those are the places where the biases exist. And of course, on the other side of the, you know, so I'm not trying to go anywhere. Right. And it makes me, and somebody else was saying the same thing. We've heard it for a long time. And I make a joke out of it like, we're still deconstructing after all these years. I, I didn't think it'd go this far either. Right. I didn't think, what do you think? I have a plan of just trying to figure out what it is, what is going on. I, I'm just exploring. I'm curious. I want to know. Right. I want to know what I think. I want to know what right. other people think. Is it right? Is it wrong? This is where I am today. Right. This is how I got here. I don't know what it'll feel like tomorrow, right. and it is so wrong of anybody to think Matt is going to go down this road, but then he's going to do this, then he's going to decide this, and then he's going to bring everybody to this other place eventually. Yeah. Like, well, you want me to pretend? Right. Like, just to – because there's a deconstruction, does that imply reconstruction? I don't think so. Right. If so, I'll know when I get there. What else can I say? Uh, but yeah. also that implies that our deconstruction, what, he, what he's implying there. And let me make it clear. I talk loud. I sound aggressive, all stuff. I really appreciate that he took the time to do this. And I think he's right on a lot of stuff. I think he's right that we don't sound as sure. We're I think, not. It, I yeah, think it is right. way more comfortable and truthful and authentic that I am not as sure. If I tell you I'm really sure about this, this, and this, in no point in my life have I been fully telling you the truth. Right. I've always had questions. I've always been worried. What am I saying? What am I doing? What am I promoting? Because I want the real thing. The objective truth is what I'm trying to find. I dislike so much when people say, you're deconstructing, but you got to reconstruct. What are they saying? What is, they want I, I you know. to reconstruct the thing that you tore down? Right. Or what? what, what isn't that a part of the reconstruct? Like Deconstruction is reconstruction. It's the same thing. It's you keep right. going. You, I it, think of it as remodeling. Can we go with the remodeling instead? It's not so deconstruction right. is like demolition is what people hear when you say deconstruction. 
Because you're like taking yeah. something apart. So it's like demolition on a house. You can tear it down the foundation, fuck it all. And then you're going to sit there on the empty foundation of subjective truth forever. I love it. <laughs> That's, I know. Yeah, a de- look, we got this old house that we moved into. And it's got shag carpet and fake wood paneling and uh, asbestos. Right. That's the state I found this damn place in once I realized what was going on. Right. The, the American church institution, authority, yeah. whatever. And so, yeah, I pull that paneling down. Found the asbestos, found the knob and tube wiring. We're going to rip that out. We're going to, you know, and so you just keep disassembling yeah. the house and we're going to remodel it and it will not look the same. And my guess is we stay with a very minimalist decor. Yeah. Yeah. Plain white walls. All right. We got to we move on because we've been talking about this forever. I really want to say at least one. Well, right. we may not have time. It's what fine. is it? That's fine. No, say it. No, it's don't still. waste time. Say it now. All right. So basically, what I don't understand when someone says he insinuated that. We are kind of lording over the Bible, and he's not. That's what that's yeah, because that, the Bible's just true. That's yeah, what's yeah. so right. mind boggling is he doesn't realize that all he the only difference between him and us right now is right. he thinks you can gather more truth from it. But bottom line is he's still approaching it through his world lens, right. and so he's still deciding that should be taken in one context. Paul didn't mean that here. Here's what Jesus meant. Yeah. He's doing the same thing. It just looks differently. And right. so I think that's the biggest departure that Christians need to figure out, and that is some people read the Bible way more loosely. That doesn't mean that we're like, I'm going to be God over the yes. Bible. It just means and it doesn't I don't mean think I read truth. it that, right. Much, right. that way anymore. Right. No, that's, I totally agree with you 100%. The thing that bothers me the most is somebody that uses the absolute truth, like he talks about absolute truth, you cannot say the Bible is absolutely true. It is for me. I do believe the Bible's true. I do believe in Jesus, all this stuff. But for me to say it is absolutely true, it isn't to people. And so that would mean that my truth over does theirs. So it's not absolute. Unless my truth is the only one that's absolute. Right. That can't be true. Anyway, we need to get to some more truth. Uh, we have a great guest today. Uh, this one is, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it so I can learn. Not looking forward to it to probably some of the stories we're going to hear. But uh, we have Autumn Miles on. I'm really excited. Uh, she wrote a book about... Uh, Domestic violence within the church and how the church has handled it it's very poorly. We have. I mean, it's, it's, this is going to get no pretty crazy. So uh, let's let's get to it and bring on Autumn here. Yep. And big time thank you to those people for sending in those things. Not bashing y'all. I'm sure your sentiment yes. is echoed oh, yeah, yeah. very you. widely. You, you represent yeah. thousands of other people. I do No, I'm sorry. It. Maybe a couple dozen other people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not thousands. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Let's, let's get to this. All right, I'm going to take a second here and tell you guys about HoneyBook. I know that a lot of you out there, uh, how's this, ring a bell? You're a solopreneur, you're an entrepreneur, you're a freelancer, right? I can picture right now, I know a lot of our listeners are, probably run your own auto mechanic business, or you're a graphic designer, photographer, whatever it is. I know what you find challenging, and it's not doing the thing that you love. It's not your skill. It's running your business. It's managing it. It's dealing with clients. It's dealing with the spreadsheets and the endless emails and all that kind of stuff. And I know that because I have been there. And I wish when I started trying to manage Emory and Bad Christian and run that, that I had had HoneyBook. HoneyBook is amazing. It's HoneyBook.com. And HoneyBook is a purpose-built business management platform for creative small businesses. They help photographers, designers, event professionals, all kind of stuff like that. Save hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year by their time-saving automation into their businesses. Now think about what you had to pay somebody to get an employee. That's not feasible for you. And 
don't even think about business management and the percentages they take. Trust me, I know. HoneyBook makes it easy to streamline your client process so you never miss a thing. It's an all-in-one business management software. It helps you look more professional, and which is very important. So this is really an all-in-one business client management invoicing payment software. You can keep all your contracts, invoices, etc. in one place. You can get more clients and book them faster. Again, looking professional, saving time, all those things are great. And how about this? They've got an app, so your whole business management exists in your back pocket. It's terrific. You can do your proposals, contract agreements. They do e-signatures, online payments, lead management, business reporting, all that kind of stuff. And we've partnered with HoneyBook to offer the Bad Christian listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with the promo code BADCHRISTIAN. You can join 75,000 creative business professionals who use HoneyBook already to power their business to even greater heights. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Go to HoneyBook.com today right now, and use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN to get started. And again, that's honeybook.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. So, um, I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a good old Baptist preacher, and um, he was awesome. Uh, I, I knew everything. I, I could tell you everything there was to know about Jesus and like the stories and Rahab and Jericho and all that. I got it. Like I was awesome at it. Um, and then when I went to school, I met, um, you know, a super hot guy who wanted to date me and I was actually dating five guys at one time. So I had to, I know this is so bad. When I say I am Rahab, I was legitimately Rahab. Um, and, and I, so this, this guy asked me out and, um, he was one that I had my eye on for a while. And so I was like, absolutely, but I got to make a few phone calls. And broke up with all the guys I was dating and um, started dating him exclusively. Wow, what was so special about him that you would be willing to? I don't know. He was really cute. I don't really know what it was. There was no depth to it. I was like 15, you know. Um, But I started dating him and became sexually active early in our relationship, which is the story of a lot of people these days. Yeah, you were 15. Uh, uh, no, 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 not quite that young. But we did. We did become sexually active in our relationship. Mm. And um, once that happened, there was a change in respect. And I could see it. it was very it was very blatant. It was very real. I think because I was in high school, I didn't identify it as such. But um, the respect level um, really it was it was it was gross. I mean, he would say things. I remember him saying the first thing he said was you're so stupid. Like you are so stupid. Why would you say that? Or you're so fat. Like, why don't you lose 20 pounds? As a matter of fact, let's do that. Why don't, why don't you lose 20 pounds? All of this is clearly after you were sexually active. Yep. Yep. After definitely after. Um, and then it kind of progressed from there. We dated for three years. I mean, we got to the point where he was in my face screaming at me you know every every like f bomb what he called me everything with a with a f word in the front of it that was his thing and um three years into the relationship he asked me to marry him (laughs) goodness when i was a week before my 19th birthday um we got married and um i remember sitting at our reception 
And there's a picture of me and I know what I'm thinking. I, my arms are crossed. I'm, I'm at like, you know, the head table where everyone's there and sits there. And I, I'm thinking to myself, what did I just do? It was like, I woke up a little bit to what I was involved in. Yeah. Um, but we were married at that point and, um, was married. Can I, can I just ask like, what, what brought you like, were you just thinking you could change him? Like, I mean, obviously it already was abusive. Like what, what was in your head? Like, okay, I'm going to at least keep going with this. I was thinking it was my fault. Um, you know, this is, this is very typical with anyone that's been involved in domestic violence. You know, me, I've been married to my, the love of my life for 14 years. And looking back at that autumn, I would tell her probably exactly what you're thinking. What, why, like, why did you do that? But there is a brainwashing that takes place. Uh, It starts with, man, you're really stupid. And then they'll be like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Oh my goodness. I, I was just having a bad day. And you're thinking, okay, he's having a bad day. Well, there, it's a process. You don't just walk into a domestic violence situation and say, hey, rape me. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is a process to get there. And abusers are awesome at it. They can mm-hmm. win Academy Awards at pretending to be the super upstanding, awesome Christian guy even. And, you know, abuse their wives when no one's looking and certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't tell anyone. So when I got to that point in my and after we had gotten married, just just like fresh, fresh after that, he tell, told me it was your it's your fault. It's your fault mm-hmm. that it had progressed to listen. I wouldn't act like this if you weren't stupid. Yeah. I wouldn't say you're fat if you really weren't fat. Like, why would I do that? So there is a twisting, not only of the respect in the relationship, but it, they, they sort of start twisting what you think about yourself until you're completely brainwashed. Does, do you call um, that gaslighting? Is that what that is that the term for that? I mean, yes, yes, it's a form of it. There's a lot of different definitions for that, but but it is definitely a form of it. It's it's a it's satanic. That's the best. That's the best thing I can think. Does it feel like, it- like what they're doing? It's kind of complicated, I suppose. If you don't mind, if we slow down there in the first place, he's telling sure. you it is your fault, which is a mm-hmm. way to. It's not. It's really just a way to control you that he knows works on you in a way. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And then the worst part about all that is then you're left in this situation where I'm sure you get this all the time. I think many people probably do either explicitly or implicitly with the questions they ask, think it is your fault because you should have known better. You know, Mm -hmm. like, so he's already saying the thing to you and programming you to, to the other people go, why didn't you leave? Well, that is your fault. Couldn't you have known? You know, then you get into people, other people telling us your fault. And so Mm -hmm. he was, I mean, I mean, every, everything that they tell you really, um, they, they know your insecurities. He was with me long enough to know my insecurities. So he would play on any, any, any weakness in me, just like yeah. Satan. He would play on that and he would manipulate that because he knew that was not an area of strength for me. And then he would twist it around to where I was fully dependent on his opinion. Um, and, and you do start to believe what they say um, to you. Their lies and the things that's ridiculous. You start to think, well, maybe, maybe it is my fault. Maybe I am just fat. Maybe I do need to change. Um, you know, and, and, and you kind of morph into that thinking. And you probably lock on the times when he actually says, I love you and you're beautiful and those sorts of things. You're like, no, nah, I just remember last night he told me that he loved me. Of course he does. There's good, it's bad, always, in every relationship, they say. It's always chased with an I love you. 
Yeah. It's always chased, you know, abuse is never, that's why women stay. That's why women go back. Um, because it's always chased with, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. So you, so if you're playing on a woman who's already riddled with insecurities as I was, um, they, they want to believe the best. They, they're, they're, they're bought into this relationship, especially, you know, sexually when, um, when you, you've been having sex before marriage, it ties you to the person. And so, um, I was no different, uh, in this situation. It was chased with an, I love you. And I believed it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what the definition of love actually was. Well, what about from his point of view, if you could help me with that, was he genuine at both points? Is it possible that he's just this he's crazy this way but does love you and he is sorry but he knows it was wrong but he did it or is it like he spotted you he wanted to abuse you the whole time he knew exactly what he was doing and he was great at it that's a great question no one's ever asked me that um but just to answer very frankly i think at times he was genuine and at times it was manipulative um there were times that i actually thought okay um maybe he is going to change this time i separated from him for three three separate times and the fourth time i divorced him and every time it seemed as if it was really transparent and like listen i'm going to try to change we actually went to counseling for uh for for a long period of time. Um, so I think at times he realized, wow, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. And then at times he was using it as a way to get what he wanted from me. Man, it sounds like he kind of, it feels like he was crafting out the life that he wanted. And it was really about control. Like you said, like he, he knew to prey upon the things that like, you know, like me, I don't feel comfortable sometimes with my body weight or my body image or anything like that. So if somebody hits me with that, then follows it up with, I love you, then you at least go, well, they must, you know, if you hear so much negative yeah. stuff, then you really latch on to the, well, it, yeah, but he loves me. So it must be said in love, right? Yeah. Like it's a big, it, it, it can fool you into thinking that they love you, even though it's all negative. So you said you separated three times. So it must have gotten even worse. Like it wasn't just some name calling, right? I mean, the the domestic abuse, it it got bad enough to where you had to get separate. Right. Um, I, we, after, after we got married, um, I, I think it was like a month after we were married, he lost his job and I at the time and he walked in the door and he said I lost my job and I said just a couple of words what are we going to do six words and it ignited something in him I had never seen before it was the best way to put it is it was an animalistic anger that came over him and that was the first time that he was physical with me um, where he took me was slinging me around the room Um, you know I was just kind of like a rag doll I I don't really remember um, much of what happened I just remember him taking me and kind of throwing me around the room and I ended up on our bed with my feet kicked up, ready to kick him off of me if I needed to. So um, it just sort of progressed from there. There was a a story where um, my best friend was getting married and I had asked him multiple times to go to the wedding. Of course he was not gonna go, but um, he finally said, yes, you can go and I went. And I don't know if you guys remember the dollar dance where, you know, you dance with the groom and give him money. A woman dances with the groom and then the woman, a man dances with the bride and give her money. And I danced the dollar dance with the groom and gave him like 10 bucks. And I remember going back to my seat and there was, I had like 17 missed calls all from him. 
And I called him and he's screaming at me in the phone and he's saying, did you dance the dollar dance with the groom? And I was like, yes. And he goes, you need to come home now. I don't know why I went home that night. But that was that was the worst uh, uh, situation that I had ever even walked in. I actually walked into the room, not even knowing God, but feeling evil. And, um, it was, it was just, um, I remember that night, there's a lot of things that happened that night. It was kind of a, a session of abuse, if you will. Yeah. But I remember him putting me, I was up against the wall, just standing up against the wall and he had his finger in my face and he, and all I could say was just, please hit me, get it out, get it out, oh, just gosh. get it out. And then of course, you know, he took his hands off of me because it came again. So, um, you know, yes, it got worse and worse to the point where I felt like I, I, I actually, and it's the first story in my book. I, um, had believed he was going to kill me. Um, I, I felt like it was a matter of time. There was a gun that was in between the mattresses that, um, that he placed on the side of his bed where he slept. And I just knew that this rage that would come over him one day was going to either he was going to kill himself or he was going to kill me. And he had threatened, um, you know, multiple times to to kill himself. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like it was it was going to be my turn eventually. So it got a lot worse. um, And, you know, that's kind of the story of 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 a domestic violent uh, situation. Yeah. How how long were you did you remain in the relationship when you would describe yourself as clear headed. Like you knew that this was wrong, that you do not need to be in this relationship. Like, did you abort right when that revelation came or did it take a long time? Um, I remember, um, I was in the relationship, so I dated him for three years and then we were married for about two and a half, about, and one and a half years into the relationship that, uh, we were watching a football game. And this is very interesting because people are like, you realize it's like very anticlimactic, but um, I remember I had get him, gotten him something to drink. I had gotten him like chips and salsa or whatever it was that he wanted. And I sat down beside him and he reached over. I was sitting, you know, right beside him and he reached arm and he squeezed it as hard as he could. And it that squeeze woke up my brain. I can't even tell you how, but it, I, I thought to myself, I didn't do anything to deserve that. I was being nice. I got him food. We're watching football. What the heck is going on? And it was a couple of nights later um, that abuse had just happened um, before he fell asleep. And I was laying in bed right beside him, terrified that he was going to kill me. I just, I was terrified. I also, at this point, was terrified of God, thought God was going to kill me as well. So I decided to take my own life. And I started planning sort of my own death and how in the world I I wanted to be in control of my death, Mm -hmm. um, started planning that. And it was about that time that God sort of intervened into my life. And he, he said something incredible to me, which I'll never forget. He said, do you remember me? And I laid there trying to plan, plan my own death and here the very spirit of the living God intervened, woke me up, woke me up literally. Like when you say get woke, I was woke. I walked to the, across the, the, the hall and I, I offered up the most rebellious prayer. I flat out told God, I don't believe in you. How could you? You've seen everything he's done to me. I don't believe a good God could allow that. Offered it up. But I said, if you, if you are actually who you say you are, 
you better speak. Open up my Bible to Psalm 91, the last uh, verse. And that says, with long life, um, I will satisfy him. And I read that and fell on my face knowing that God was the only one that knew that I was scared that my ex was going to kill me. He was going to murder, kill me. I thought I was going to get hit by a car, die in my sleep. And I was planning my own suicide. And that was the night I was clear of mind for the first time. I didn't leave him for a year after that because I had no courage. I might have been woken up, but I was terrified. Um, and here, all of a sudden, I realized, oh, my goodness, God is actually real. He's real. And if he's real, his word has to be true. I'm not going to be the idiot that doesn't try to find out what his word says. Right. I bet you being in that position, like what you described, even though you stayed for a year, I bet you you felt a little more free in a, in a weird sort of way because at least you knew, okay, this is wrong and I've got to eventually do something. I knew it was wrong um, and I knew God was with me which is something that I was thinking the opposite. God had truly forsaken me. So I figured if I was going to do it alone, um, uh, if I was going to actually get out and get out alive, I was going to try to start this thing called faith and work with God rather than working against God. It was very freeing. And he saw the difference. That's the crazy thing. I would come in and he would, uh, he would say horrible things to me and I would smile at him. Because I yeah. knew all of a sudden that night changed how I viewed him. Um, I knew that God was going to fight for me. Um, and so as I responded to him in love, it just made him all the more angry. So things actually did get worse in that last year. Man. And so uh, the underlining thing here for me is it feels like uh, – you were a Christian. Were you going to church? Is that like, I mean, all the people surrounding y'all's lives, did you feel like you couldn't tell them? Did they know and nobody said anything? Like we, we were talking about it before and I think it's getting ready probably to blow, but this is probably a time too where, I mean, even, even till now, domestic violence within marriage and especially when the context of church just isn't talked about. Did you feel like you had no voice, nowhere to turn to, you were able to finally turn to God, but what about your, your family or your peers? Well, my dad was a pastor of the church I was attending. Mm -hmm. um, and Satan, again, his lies are very believable. They're very believable. So I thought if I told them it would bring shame on my family, it would bring shame on the church um, they approved the marriage, so it would bring shame on them. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt anyone other than that needed to be hurt. I, I could take it. I just didn't want the consequences to fall on somebody else. In the first, in the first uh, uh, story in my book, I actually tell my sister, and we're eating mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I just looked at her and I, I didn't say anything. I was a totally different person back then. Um, you know, that was 17 years ago. But I, I looked at her and I said, if I turn up dead, look to him first as I'm oh, eating man. mint chocolate chip ice cream. Oh, and she looks at me and she's like, what? I said, if I turn up dead, look at him first. And she was like, what? And I was able to that night eating that mint chocolate chip ice cream for the first time. That was the first person I ever told about um, what was happening to me. Uh, she never told anyone because uh, she was like, she was, she was 20. So what does a 20 year old do with right. that information? Uh, but I did eventually go to my parents and, um, you know, told them what was happening. And 
I thought that they were going to greet me with like hate and what are you doing? And I can't believe you would do this. Totally opposite. Um, they were like, we knew something was going on. I'm glad you came to us. We'll help. And they, and they, they have, they are my heroes, both of them. They've helped me to this day. Um, but at a Baptist church, it was probably really hard, like getting out meant divorce, which is a big no, no. Right. Right. Well, I went to them and I said, uh, I'll never forget my parent, my um, two of my siblings went to Liberty University and I, I, I was still in the marriage and was barely hanging on. And uh, my parents were going to go to a trip to visit my, my brother and sister. And I thought, I said, I need to go. And I started asking my ex-husband six months in advance because I knew he would say no every single day. And the night before they left, um, I said, listen, I want to go. And he said, do whatever you want. And so I left. And that was the, um, week that I told my parents, I'm going to get a divorce and, um, came back and told the deacons to which their response was kicking me out of the church. No way. Yes. They brought me before the church, um, for church discipline. The chairman of the deacons looked at me and said, God will never use you if you do this. And my dad and mom were not allowed in that meeting because they supported me. And my dad eventually got fired, uh, for supporting me, but, um, they, they, they did not condemn the abuse. Mm -hmm. They condemned the divorce. Right. And, um, but God intervened in my life in an amazing way. So I know, I know the devastation of church hurt. I know what it's like. I know this moment that we're walking in. I lived it. And, um, so, and I, 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 I'm right with you guys. It's a moment for our church to be, to wake up, to see what's happening. So does this, you know, it sounds I don't want to say it sounds common, but I think this is common. I think even the way you tell it, I think it's just so, it's just in the sense that it's so underreported. And I do feel like it's coming, getting closer and closer to having people talk about it. And I think there'll be a mountain of it. And it's, it's this weird unintended thing for the church because they're against divorce and they're for forgiveness. And that's what happened in the Southern Baptist Convention, the Paige Patterson thing. It was like a lady that got raped. Or something, and and the counsel from them is to forgive the the guy because we're big. You know, I don't. It'd be easier. It'd be smoother. You smooth it over. You keep it under the rug. Like this is a good couple in our church, and divorce is bad, and Jesus will work it out. Like I know you meant well, even when you said those things, but that is that's dev- this, um, um This obviously causes unbelievable amounts of harm that we don't even know the tip of the iceberg. I feel like it makes me real nervous. Right. Paige Patterson um, uh, told her to forgive and to submit. Mm -hmm. And what he doesn't understand is, is that counsel. And I don't know, I wasn't there. I've spoken out about it a Mm -hmm. lot, a lot, Um, done several articles on it. Um, But what he doesn't understand is exactly what he told her was the counsel that an abuser tells the abused right before they get raped. Mm-hmm. Right before, um, you know, they do something heinous to them. I can't tell yeah. you the amount of messages, emails, I mean, social media, everything where I am contacted and say, and, and am told my husband tells me I have to submit to him and then he rapes me. What do you think about that? Um, it's a satanic view of that passage of scripture. If they mm-hmm. actually knew what um, submission meant, it would never mean, it never means control in absolutely no situation. 
situation. So I agree with you. I think it's a lot more common um, than than it's very underreported mm-hmm. because people are scared. They're terrified of the, pe- the the men or women in positions that look at them and that tell them, "Don't tell anyone. Submit and forgive." Um, you, that that is that is a spiritual abuse that um, that happens in a church when they don't actually look at the situation, investigate, find out what's going on, and for heaven's sake, get that woman out of that horrible situation that she's living in while they're doing that. So um, it's definitely underreported. It's an issue, and we have to stop. This is one way that Satan has made a home in the church through p- asking people that have been brutalized to just forgive and submit. You know, this is, if society at large, if it is, um, and uh, if you can get charged with a crime for beating somebody up, why in the world in churches are we being told to forgive and go back to someone that we know is, has a history of violence? Well, and it's, and, it's, and it's unbelievable too how it's another example Christians take a certain sin and they elevate it. And that's what divorce has been done throughout the years to where they see out of divorce and a woman allowing herself to get beat, which, oh yeah, the greatest two commandments is love God and then love others as you love yourself. So it's like people would say, nah, you need to take the beating instead of getting a divorce? I mean, is it not clear that the lesser of the two evils is divorce? And it's not yeah. even evil in that situation. It's just in, it's just insane. And the church is okay splitting right down the middle. And, you know, they can't get along, and the church will split in a minute. But divorce is one that it, it – like, it, here's the thing. In this situation, it cannot be more clear that you needed help. I, I feel like everybody knew – I feel like – I know when something's off with, with people or something's going on deeper. Now, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'll even say this. I don't I, I don't know. Maybe your ex is uh, completely sadistic, but he couldn't have enjoyed his life treating you like that. I don't know if he could have found joy, especially not joy in the Lord, living the way he did and treating you the way he did and controlling you. He wanted to be God and Lord of your life yeah. to get something that is missing inside of him. And, and he turned sadistic and cruel and horrible. It's just it's so crazy like. The idea that this is, I cannot believe, like when we when we were talk, talking before you came on, how underreported this actually is. Like, I mean, of course, people talk about divorce or whatever, but, but actual domestic violence within the context of marriage, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be a union that uplifts each other. Like, I mean, even, like even the beginning, when you were talking about him just putting you down, like I do see that as serious abuse that you can only, I mean, you can only take so much abuse before you, like you start wanting to end it. Like that's where you got to, like, even, even if it wouldn't have been the physical stuff with the physical stuff, it's just horrific. It's awful. But even if you could rewind back past that, it's shocking to me. Like imagine having to live the rest of your life just with somebody that wanted to put you down always and like hurt you to get something for themselves like that. And, And why do you think, why is the church so uh, silent on this. Why do you think it has been? Like, I, I know this was 17 years ago, and now we're finally starting to talk about it a little bit. But what do you think it, it was? Like, do you think it really is just shame? We don't want to bring shame. 
I think honestly, people aren't educated on divorce. Um, I studied divorce for a long time. And that's one of the things, you know, we're so easy to throw around the line, God hates divorce. Well, yes, God does hate divorce. But when that is quoted in scripture, um, the context of that is that the, the Israelite men were divorcing their wives for no reason. And the context is God hates these kind of divorces. So we have to educate ourselves on exactly what, what, what does God permit and what is he saying about divorce? But another thing is I I had a pastor come up to me and, um, you know, I've done work on this for 17 years. And she said to me, um, you know, um, I'm so glad you're speaking out this year about divorce when, um, in a domestic violence and no one even knew it was a problem. And I just sat back and it was like one of <laughs> yeah. those moments where I thought to myself, oh my goodness, does no one, with, with statistics like one in four women are getting abused and one in seven men are getting abused, no one thinks that this is in the church. Let me tell you something right now. D- uh, domestic violence looks like me. Domestic violence is the woman that's three three um, people down from you in worship, raising her hands um, in worship next to you as she's singing the latest Hillsong song. That domestic violence is 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 the woman that's in childcare that's helping your children. That's what it looks like because it doesn't look like a woman that has black and blue bruises all over her face. Yeah. Should we not be um, at least doing some investigation to what this is? Lifeway came to me in 2016. And they said, we want to do research on domestic violence in the church. Would you commission a Lifeway study? To which I said, absolutely. And I I still believe to this day, it's one of the reasons why I am breathing. We uh, polled a thousand pastors uh, to see what, how exactly they would handle domestic violence in the church, which actually brought about a lot of this church to conversation. Um, And they, they, after a thousand pastors were polled, 97% 97% of pastors came back and said, um, our church is absolutely a safe haven. We would never condone divorce, uh, abuse, mm-hmm. absolutely never. But only 50% of these churches, roughly 50%, had a plan in place um, to help domestic violence victim if she comes forward. And out of the thousand pastors that were polled, only 30% of those pastors had even seen mm-hmm. a domestic violence case in oh three my. years. Right. With statistics like one in four and one in seven, they should be hearing about these every single every, week, yeah, every week, every single month. This should be this should be an issue that the church is the answer to. But Satan has been so good at hushing up the victim and show and and not providing a true haven in the body of Christ that they don't know what to do. Yeah. So um, with that information. We've done a lot of really good work and it's, and it's opened a lot of eyes. A domestic violence victim will never, ever, your church is not a haven, not even, I don't care where your heart is. Your church is not a haven. If you do not have a clear plan to get that woman out of the, of, of that mm-hmm. relationship or help her in some way, because a domestic violence victim is terrified of the consequences of her coming forward and possibly her children getting murdered, possibly her parents getting murdered, because those are the threats that she faces when she comes forward. What would a plan even look like for something like that? And, and you know, it's, it's like, man, now is it, 
you know, I, I may have been guilty of monkeying in other people's lives too much thus far in my life. So I look at it in some ways, like I've suspected this or that, or tried to help this marriage. And I've, I've done that where I've been heavy handed and I've thought I've knew something about a friend before and tried to go help it or fix it. Sometimes I've been wrong, but what, how does that, how could you tell or, or what would you do? So, um, because of this, I have 10 plan, 10 steps for churches on my website. The first thing is very, very clearly a pastor simply needs to say, if you are abused, domestic violence is not welcome in this church. It is a satanic cold that we will not tolerate. You think that that is nothing. But when a pastor says that from the pulpit, it signals the abuser um, and telling him, listen, I can't mess with this guy or we need to find a new church. It also signals the victim and says, hey, I've got an ally here. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing and so simple that you can do. Um, Also partnering with domestic violence shelters. If a woman was to come forward, listen, you don't have to, you, you, a pastor, I think sometimes we think that they have to know everything and do everything and know how to counsel in every which way. There are awesome domestic violence shelters that you simply have to partner with, be able to take the victim in and transport her Mm -hmm. uh, kids and her um, to help her get out. There's a hotline that you can have posted in your church, 1-800-799-SAFE. These are simple steps that you can do in order to actually ensure that your church is a haven, not just say that your church is a haven. But to answer your question, a domestic violence victim, a couple of things to look for um, would be someone that has completely changed in personalities. Mm -hmm. If they're a vivacious personality and, um, you know, they are, uh, they are outgoing and whatever, and they start dating or get married and immediately their personality changes, that is a sign that there is some sort of control possession going on in that relationship. Another thing is that if that a woman barely can answer a question for herself, um, there, there's one thing I'll say, um, you know, someone will invite us out to dinner. I'll be like, Hey, I got to run that past my husband. Just, just as a courtesy, let me mm-hmm. check my schedule. Someone who's being abused, they will, they will look constantly to him, constantly up at him before they answer you. You can tell the yeah. difference between, Hey, we got to check our calendar and I'm scared to make a, a, a suggestion here because of what he might think. Um, if someone is being isolated from their par- parents, kids, family, that is a sign for you to go in. If you are not allowed to speak to someone because they're always busy or they never take your phone call or something like that, and you were good friends and there's no real reason why, isolation is a huge factor in domestic violence uh, relationships. So if the thing's really one in four there, and I can't think of any way around it, I don't know that stat, that sounds so high that it's just devastating. But even if it was less than that or somewhere anywhere close to that order of magnitude, let's just think through it this way. Everybody knows somebody in the situation, surely. But you don't know Mm -hmm. it now. But let's look at Joey here specifically, who is a pastor. Joey, do you encounter this? Does your church, and do you say that from stage, do you have a plan in place? And what no, you but expect I, to be finding it? Like you know people in yes. your church have this, well, right? You asked a bunch of questions, so I don't know. So, yes, I have encountered it. Yes, I've heard of other pastors in our church encountering it. No, I do not have a concrete plan. Uh, yes, this talk you, has Sorry. motivated me for sure to to say that. Like, I, I just, I mean, it sounds horrible, but it it never occurred to me to tell our women, hey, if you're being abused by your husband... We, you know, we want to help. 
But and at the same time, though, like so, would would you recommend it being approached that casually? Like, what if what if I mean, can can you get her in some sort of trouble with her husband? Um, no, not if you. I, that that's a very listen. Listen, I was in church every week. Every week, I I had my hair done. I had my makeup done. I was in church every single week while I was going through this. Um, so if 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 someone that was from the pulpit would have said to the, just bl- a blanket statement, what we just want to, we feel like maybe we haven't done this well in the past. I want to tell you, domestic violence is not okay. We are not okay with any woman or man or child being abused. You need to know that that is my heart. Um, I would be shocked if you didn't get some sort of email or contact from someone in your church that doesn't say, hey, listen, you said this, and I just want to let you know this is actually going on in my home. Just me being a voice for this, um, I, I there are women that contact us every single day every day. I don't know them personally, but I blanket it. Listen, domestic violence is not okay. This is not the heart of the father. And we get an amazing amount of emails. I have never heard that. I've been in my marriage. Last week I met someone, she was in our marriage for 30 years, 30 years still in the marriage. And no one had said, um, there was that this was not the heart of the father. So sometimes people just need to be told, listen, it is not okay. Help is available for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think the reason, one of the things too is, and, and Joey, I mean, I worked with at the church with Joey is like, you're saying like, I I bet seeing you on Sunday, you looked uh, energetic and happy and you're smart and you're strong and you look good. You know, all, all the things, uh, are covering it up to where you wouldn't even maybe maybe some people meeting you once a you know once a week or something like that everybody's busy with their lives it probably is hard and and you're right like it seems like awareness is the biggest thing that we're missing here because it just seems so easy to go well, oh man that's a great couple oh man you know, she she made me laugh today it's so funny she she's fine you know what I mean you probably are, you're, being a strong person having a, a really strong personality and uh, being very friendly and outgoing it seems like man, I don't know what you were like back then but knowing you now it seems like you probably even uh, it, it would be hard to notice that. So it, it probably is happening mm-hmm. an unbelievable amount where you wouldn't even know it unless you asked, unless you put it out there. And, and it's hard because it, it is a tough thing. People, I think too, I, I don't know if you came across this, seems like people are just, uh, let's don't go there. I want to hear about the, you know, make let pastor make a joke and let's let's get on with the sermon. I want to feel good. I'll get my ties and I'm out of here. Like when it, when it hits home with like domestic abuse, that feels hard and tough mm-hmm. and it's right now it's not some third world country where you can send some money to it's the person like you said sitting three seats down from you and that that feels really hard to deal with it feels scary and you feel like oh i'd rather just avoid it than take the responsibility or something like that you, you come across stuff like that absolutely every single day i think um you said a couple of really really good things um the people that knew me before saw the change in my personality Um, I went from, you know, super happy, laughing all the time, whatever, to completely controlled. And you could even tell in my countenance. Um, The other thing that you said is, you know, how do you approach that? Should we approach it? Whatever was kind of, I think what you were getting Mm -hmm. at. You need to. Um, I think we are, we, we, we are dying on this cross of, of being socially, politically correct. And people, women are literally 
getting threatened as they're going home from church. It is time not to do this fake do life together stuff, which kind of makes me want to throw up. (laughs) If you're going to do life together, get in somebody's life and say, listen, I wish someone would have said to me, this may totally offend you. And I may be so off base here, but I am noticing some issues that you're just not yourself. What is going on? If someone would have poked and prodded me just a little bit, man, that balloon would have popped. And I would have told them, this is what I'm going through and asked for their help. But nobody did. Well, so that's almost hopeful to me, though, given the thing. It's really just an information. I mean, it's a deep problem and a satanic problem and all that. But it's also just an information problem. And this is kind of what this exchange is doing. And that's what I was trying to say with Joey as an example for before, not that this church needs to get with it, but it's like, Oh, that's not that hard. Of, of course we can say something. And then that'll help. Yeah. Like it's not that hard to get way more people to come out. If you're a community group leader, you've mm-hmm. got 12 people, 16 people that you kind of think, I mean, it's some of them almost mm-hmm. no matter what. And again, I don't want to put people on a witch hunt or something, but it's like, it maybe just putting those things in place are way better than having to be a detective. Just, just talking about, it, just making sure it can be talked about, and, it's a and that, that can be done. That has to be welcomed into the churches. Um, when, if the conversation is welcomed in, I mean, you think of of um, uh, uh, sex slavery. Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the term right now. Human trafficking. Human trafficking. Thank you. That conversation into entered the churches, mm-hmm. and the awareness went through the roof. And now, of course, everyone is on board with sex trafficking. If we started and had and cultivated and sustained this conversation of domestic violence in the church, I don't know a pastor. uh, I don't know of a pastor that wouldn't say absolutely Mm -hmm. not, not in my church. That is not okay. But this conversation has to be started. It has to be supported and it has to be a continual conversation. And you're right. Awareness alone is um is is man a great tool because it's not like there's not really sides here everybody's against this right it's not it does not an ideological battle over well we're i mean it doesn't have to be at least i I can't imagine not everybody's against it because i definitely have seen people that would say stay and really page patterson i mean we can just take that example that was his that was his advice. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone is against it. However, God delivered me from it. And I'm living proof that there is a gracious God that is not for it. And when that deacon looked at me and said, God will never use you, I felt in my spirit the very opposite of what he was saying. I felt God say to me, you know what? I use I use Noah. Mm-hmm. And he was, I used Moses, I used David and he cheated on his wife and killed her husband. I used Rahab and she was a prostitute selling her body for money. So I'm going to choose you as well. So, so Autumn, what would you say to uh, a listener that says, I cannot take the chance of my kid getting killed by my husband? There's just no way I'm going to take that chance. I mean, that seems like a, a very credible fear. It's a very credible fear, and it's it's an intimidation tactic. Um, of course, I, I certainly don't want anyone to risk um, the lives of their children uh, as well. So I would say you've got to get out, but you have to be strategic. I was very strategic. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, leaving notes. Hey, I'm going to leave you now. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to that listener, first of all, I am your sister, and I totally understand the fear, but it is merely intimidation. I would tell them to when their husband is at work, pack up what they need, 
pack up what their kids need, leave. Do not come back. Get into counseling, get into a great church, a Bible-believing, spirit-filled church that believes in the power of the word of God and do the work um, that you're going to need in order to move past this in your life. I would not tell the abuser, I'm going to leave you. I would simply pack up and go. Yeah, Because if even if they if they stay, I, it seems like the chance of that that abuser actually taking their lives is it increases every day. Mm-hmm. Like staying is just a, it maybe even a higher percentage chance that at some point it might be it might take a year or whatever, but at some point that abuser is going to do something because they like like your ex wasn't right in the head that, that like there was something going on there like it, satanic yeah. mentally emotionally spirit whatever it is something was really off with him that he couldn't feel it and you're right like I mean. You can pick up on certain things, and for you to get that idea of, wait a minute, he might kill me, that, 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 there was truth in that. There was real truth in it. If you didn't get out, eventually he might have. And so that's why any, anybody listening right now, definitely, I don't know, uh, and I definitely wanted to hit your, your book, because uh, that's one of the reasons why we, we had you on here, but it is, is, your book's called I Am Rahab, um, and it's out now, right? Yeah, yeah, it and, is. and it's kind of telling your story a, a, a little bit about what you shared here, and it probably goes way more in depth and stuff like that. But it's out now. Where can people find it? And uh, and also maybe where if somebody's out there in a bad situation right now, if you have any information like a website or a phone number, they could call or go to too. But yeah, tell us a little bit about the book. So um, when I came out and when I got kicked out of my church, it's like who do I identify with? You know, when I looked yeah. through the scriptures, I was like, yeah, I identify with Jezebel. Basically, um, she was. I just kind of felt evil, and then she got eaten by dogs, and I was like, no, that's not how I want my story <laughs> to end. And then, um, you know, I, I looked at Mary, and I'm like, Mary never did anything wrong. Like she was awesome always. Right. I'm not her. <laughs> she didn't even have sex before marriage. I mean, yeah. I have a good night. I know. I can't, I can't, I can't do that, you know? Um, and then I found Esther and, you know, then, then I found my girl Rahab who was, um, you know, a prostitute, well-documented prostitute. And um, God chose her, even though she was named after a pagan God uh, to, to help save his people. And I thought that I can, I can relate to that. I can get behind this and her story. You know, I studied her for three years before I wrote the book, studied everything, the size of the flax harvest season. I studied everything, Jericho, um, how the walls crumbled, the fact that her and the excavations, her, her, the side that she lived on didn't crumble. And I just thought, man, um, I, I gleaned so much from her life and I saw myself in her. So, um, so I wrote about it and, um, you can find it anywhere books are sold, uh, right now. And you can contact me if you're in any sort of, it, it need anything. We're all, we're all, all over social media, Autumn Miles. I don't do Twitter very much cause I feel like people are super mean on Twitter. Yeah, they are. You got um, it right. <laughs> so I do Facebook and Instagram a lot, but then of course my website, autumnmiles.com, what you can contact us there. And we, answer 100% of the mm-hmm. messages that we get. So we will get back to you. So if your awesome. church doesn't have a plan in place, they just, I mean, you would say just, if you're listening to this contact, you. I mean, I, I, I don't have no plan in place. Don't tell me, but tell you, is that, I mean, I don't want to mean, want mean to inundate you with stuff, but you would like no. people to come forward and talk to you just with a question or a, I mean, how does that, can anything, they send anything. you a, a message without you sending a SWAT team over that? Is it, I mean, 
Can yeah, they well, just talk you know, through it with people? Don't, you know? don't message us unless you want us to act. Okay, um, that's what I'm asking. Have, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, we have we have done that a couple of times, and the woman's like, "Wait, wait, hold on, just right. a second. And I'm like, "What? What's your address? Because we're coming to get you. Yeah, Did wow. you reach out to? Are you let you know? Because there's an element of truthfulness. Yeah. Like, are are you being truthful here or yeah. not? And the ones that need it are very um, happy that we send right. a swat. Not you. We laugh at that, but we have done that before. <laughs> we also will refer them to a shelter in their area and counselors in their area. We've done that a lot of times mm-hmm. um, to help the family. Or you know, if it's just a situation where. Um, they kind of don't know what to do. Their husband's not really abusive or, you know, whatever it is we pray with them and, um, you know, refer them to an awesome church in their area. And you, you mentioned males at one point, it, how, how, like it, has there ever been something you've encountered where, uh, a woman was beating up her husband and he needed shelter? I do know of it. Uh, let me put, I have heard many stories. Um, we have never currently helped a male. No, we have not. However, um, I have heard of stories of, of men that have been beat up by their wives. Yes. Um, I'll say this and we can go ahead and, and once again, the book is called, I am Rahab and you can go to autumnmiles.com. You probably can go anywhere books are sold. She said, but one of the things that I think is most important about this is this, your story could be shameful and you are not living in shame at all. You are telling your story and owning it and living it and giving, uh, you know, a light to it. That is what I hope people hear. That's what I, I think that's the, one of the biggest tools. If you want to say Satan uses is it'll be shameful. It'll be terrible. Don't tell anybody that story. You'll be embarrassed. It'll look bad. You'll be, you'll be the prostitute, whatever. What you're saying is God uses everybody. And I'm not going to live in shame. I'm going to tell the story because I have to. And it it isn't a reflection of your character. Your character is in spite of what has been done to me, in spite of all that stuff, I'm I'm here. And I really do appreciate that. That honesty, that authenticity that you bring really means a lot. And I know it means a lot to our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. I really, I really appreciate that. Uh, this has been fun. You yeah, got fun it, for us too, Autumn. So thank much. you so thank much. You. Awesome. Thank you guys. Have a good day. Okay. Well, that was a good one. You're right about Autumn, Toby. She's. Yeah, she, uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. We have done. I'm saying we, me. I'll just start with just me. When it comes to domestic violence, especially in the Christian world, man, it is not something that has been discussed or been talked about. It is hidden, been pushed away. A lot of damage has happened outside of just the abuse. Are we tip of the I, mean, I can't believe that, that there's domestic abuse and then how much abuse is, is just from hiding it and not addressing it and all that stuff added to it. You think we're tip of the iceberg? I, on I it? hope so. I hope so. I think that. I hope that women are more empowered to uh, not only speak about it after it's happened to them, but even maybe during. Like that, that's the thing. Like she was talking. I mean, her her parents did support her, but they were the pastors there. They yeah, were all this stuff. And so all this weight of if I do this, it's it's going to look horrible if I get divorced. If I leave my husband or whatever. That like she's carrying that weight too. Of uh, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I can. Get, maybe God will heal him. Can I point out something really quickly yeah, too? What we were just talking about before this interview is how someone's interpretation of God hates divorce contributes to this because right, they think, right. oh, yeah. you're being beat. You're being beat by your husband. God hates divorce though. Right. Not using discernment to think maybe right. God hates women right. being abused even more right. than he hates divorce. Right. And that divorce is the lesser of the evils. Right. So it's just yeah. like, and please don't tell me that I don't, 
read the Bible correctly yeah, when we've been reading it correctly all along. Yeah, but it's, it's less clear than that in a sense. That you get me riled up. Yeah, man. I know, but it's not that. It's like, well, or clearly we have God somebody blasting right. their wife every night and giving her black eyes. That's not it. It's like we're not really trying to even hear the like you. You don't even get to see. You don't right. really even know the choice you're making by re, by firmly pushing one way without seeing the consequences. It's not that you even see them clearly and choose wrong. You don't even see what this mentality does. It's right. silent, and you don't even get the details. Right. And the, that's what's... The in, worst possible thing is happening to you, and it immediately becomes not a physical issue, a spiritual issue. Yeah. You, your spouse is beating you. Skip you. the physical you, part. You don't yeah. get to be present in your pain, your anguish, your hurt, the abuse. It immediately becomes a spiritual issue with God. Right. Good Between Lord. God and him or something. And like, then it, so then it's so much more epic. So then you have to carry that. My yeah. God hates me too. Right. My and, husband and, is and doing this to me. And, you're, and, oper- might, oh, and you're operating uh. from the assumption that this God that supposedly loves you is saying, stay in this, ride it and, out. And right. You also not even know what the outcome is. I will give you strength. Yeah. I will walk with you. Right. And you perceive to, your whole no. church of And you wouldn't do that too. If you saw saw it, you would stop it. Right. But because it's in this context, I don't know. Because you, you have a church of 800 people that seem in solidarity with the leadership that seems to affirm this, so you're just you, and they all tell you passively, just it's a, just keep it where it is. All right, well, we, message, got, you know? we got T-Dong that's going to be joining us here in yep. a second. All right, let's do it. Taylor Atkins is the director of our BC Club, and we have quite a bit of names to read oh, today. Again, so before read we talk before to T-Dog... Yeah. yeah, you're going to read them before? Yep, here's some folks that have gone to the thebcclub.com, thebcclub.com. They joined, they, they, and they're never leaving. They told right. us, each of these people told us they will never leave the BC Club. Right, yep. in fact, they, each of them told they're not us like the others, what they, they would do instead of, and someone was right. like, I'd kill my spouse before I would ever leave. Right, I would burn. So the after city our, down after our domestic before. violence, you went straight for a domestic violence. Did I just abuse? say that? Did I really say <laughs> that? Oh man! I'm... All right, Randy Clem the second, Sean Norfolk, uh, Norfolk. Do you say it Norfolk or Norfolk? Norfolk. David Kroll, James O'Reilly, Ben Huntington. Ben Huntington's in the BC club. Yep, he wrote me and said, "How do I get the club? How do I get the extra episodes?" I think he wanted, <laughs> but he joined. And I'll tell you this. Well, I, I knew y'all wouldn't mind. College I, friend Ben Huntington. I told him oh, yeah. where the episodes were. I was like, you don't have to join That's the club kinda, to listen no. to these. Does that make you upset? Yeah, it kind of hurts my feelings. Does it really? I mean, I was just trying to put food on the table for my family. <laughs> Dustin Runnels. Ben's rich as shit. <laughs> Leland. <laughs> ben can't give me $7 for this thing that he loves. <laughs> Takes food, steals food off my kid's table. Well, you got mad at me for paying for True Man. That's different. Leland Anderson, Simeon Trevino, Michael Scott Moe, I think that's Moe, M-E-A-U-X, Mew? Joel Dabinet, Mew? Mew? Mo. Joel Dabinet or Dabinet, Justin Randall, Chris Sprangle, Joshua Patterson, Dustin Chateau, Michael Zaramba, mm. Sean Day, Alex Medvick, Jared yes. Mal- Malpin, Jared. M-A-U-P-I-N, Hayden. Jared. Could be Jared. Our listeners don't appreciate you right now. It could be Jared is all I'm saying. Hayden Pierce, Dean Ainsworth. Wow, man. Oh, that made you beatbox. Wow. Don't 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 blow the beatbox. We'll have a T-Dong song. Oh, yeah, T-Dong. Um, we got another little segment. You know how we do the BC Club updates with that guy? He used to be called Taylor. Anyway, kick the new beat. T-Dong, 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 T-Dong. 
T-Dong, T-Dong. T-Dong, T-Dong, T-Dong. Okay, so T-Dong is back. So Taylor, has that nickname stuck so far? As we If, if anybody missed it, Taylor Atkins, our BC Club emperor, was on here, give us an update a couple of weeks ago, and he was given the name T-Dong. Who gave him that name? What a, I, Reva did. I think She's Reva. always saying dong and dick and... You won't stop it with those jokes. It's uncomfortable. So, so is it is rude? Your, do, do your family members and great aunts and great uncles now call you by your new phallic nickname or what? It's it's stuck. The club, my family, my dog, everyone. It's it's I'm T Dong now. I can't wait for the T shirts. T Dong T shirts. <laughs> well, all right. Well, T Dong, what's the update this week with the BC Club? What has been going on that we could bring to the wider attention of the three of us or the the wider audience entirely? What you got? Well, you know, we uh, someone recently came on in the BC Club and they were talking about uh, you know how much they've enjoyed being a part of the club and they were talking about uh, why. I guess someone was reacting to the question you asked recently about you know. We know why a lot of people are joining, but why are a lot of people leaving? And that kind of started a conversation in the club. And uh, I got in there and just said, I'd love to hear uh, what keeps you guys around, what keeps people staying in the club month to month to month. And I I know it's generic. I know we've said it a bunch of times, but everyone just keeps talking about the community, the community in the Facebook group, the community at BC Con, the community at these meetups they've had around the country. I mean, I think a lot of people have enjoyed getting to know each other and uh, just being around what bad Christian kind of represents. And so um, I know a couple months ago when y'all were in San Antonio, uh, we had just started talking about the road show and, uh, you know, we're going out and doing that. And I think the road show is kind of just one more thing in response to the BC club in ways that we can engage and create more community uh, within this group. We, you know, talk about the BC club. Yeah, there are supporters, but, uh, Matt, I think you mentioned it in a previous episode. You get on the Facebook group and the and the club, and that's really one of your sole interactions on Facebook anymore. And you feed off the club to bring new ideas to what bad Christian can do better. So no, I no think being a it. part of the being a part of the BC club, it gives you a voice. And I'd say the BC club is more directing a lot of our efforts and what we end up doing than really us as a as a group. I mean, as, as you, me, Reva, Joey, Toby, I think the club is kind of more dictating the projects and things we decided to pursue. Yeah, for sure. Taylor, let me break it down this way from a mega church pastor's perspective. Yeah. You know, on a typical Sunday morning, we got a lot of people just visiting. We got mm-hmm. a lot of people that just come. Seekers? Reg- seekers. They're seekers okay. or they're, they're consumers. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. But then we have the people that do the work of the ministry. They show up early. They serve in children's ministry to do that. BC Club, that's that's our core. Everybody else, they're consumers and they're seekers. And what are the BC Club members like? The Sunday school volunteers? Yeah, Sunday okay. school volunteers. I got a different and analogy. And then if you leave the club, you're a backslider. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. For sure. Man, just a shit human. You're a shit human. Is what I would have said. Is that, <laughs> they use that at church when yeah. they stop volunteering. Yeah. And the, yep. main, yep. We call them the rats. You don't they just need to get out. <laughs> I have a you whole don't leave the club, the club leaves you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you excommunicated. The, uh, I have a different analogy that I'll use that, that spark. is No, it's not a mega church analogy, but it's like a... I don't know. I think of it as the hive mind. You know what I'm saying? I've thought of that before. It's like collective intelligence of the club. And you're right. It really does inform 
the decisions we make, even if I'm not in there posting a lot, I'm reading, I feel like almost everything. I, I feel like I know people's personalities and stuff like that. And I hear what they're reacting to and they get, I get ideas from them. So it's kind of like in the hive mind, I am, or whoever interfaces with it, but in my case, I feel like they are part of my lower brain. Like I'm the executive function, <laughs> and they're the lower parts. I tell you what, you know how the whole thing is What's integrated. Wrong with Matt right no, now. check it out. I'll even go better than that. You know how you, they say you have neurons in your gut, and your gut bacteria is yeah, important, yeah. and it's part of your whole thing. I think of the BC Club members as like my gut bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, the impulses yeah. come from there, and some of the lower brain regions fo- right. you bubble up, and I'm able. They're to the take, reason I make bad decisions sometimes. That's I right. know I shouldn't eat that. That's or drink right. That, but I do. They're like my instincts, the BC Club. and they just give these real right, powerful. My instincts. You know, they're they're like my instinct. They're another fun part of you know. Try this, Toby, and I go. Well, maybe I should. I know they they influence my decision making, much like your gut bacteria influences. (laughs) What you know? I never thought of that way. You're exactly right. (laughs) They're our gut biome. Most of my bad decisions in the last year been the BC Club. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, it's true that I don't care about any individual one of them, but together they're important. Together they're brilliant. (laughs) So what else, Taylor? Anything else about the BC Club? Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the community's great, but I, I know we, we do have some perks coming up here pretty soon. Um, with the new Emory release, that's something that we're going to make available to certain levels of the BC Club. Um, we do have the BC um, Club, the bonus episodes that we put out that is only available to club members. And I, I want to give a shout out to Rob Wolf because he started a thread in the Facebook group probably a couple of weeks ago. But he just based all he said was BC Club bonus episodes are greater than main episodes. Fight me. And wow. uh, not a lot of people fought him over it. So that's what you're missing out on if you're not in the club, uh, not to put down the main episode, but we kind of let loose a little bit more. Um, and uh, get into some funny topics on the bonus episodes. Hey, Taylor, tell us what happens. So let's just take the $14 club. Tell Walk people through what happens right when they join the $14 club. What can they expect right away, and then what can they expect in the next uh, week or so as far as what they receive and that sort of thing? Yeah, when you join, um, you're, you're gonna. When you join, you should automatically get an email. Uh, most of the time, it makes it in your inbox if you don't. Sometimes they'll go to a spam, but you should get an automatic email. It gives you information on how to join the Facebook group. It gives you information on, um, you know, all, all the stuff that encompasses in the Bad Christian Club, what you're eligible for, uh, what you have access to. I think there's a digital folder in there with some goodies. We got some uh, some ebooks and everything that gets sent to you. So all that gets sent to you automatically. Then uh, once you request membership into the Facebook group, you get access into there. You're meeting a lot of people in there, and then from time to time. Uh, we're sending out different communication uh, for new perks that we're not necessarily listing on the website because they're things that we come up with on the spot. But, uh, yeah, we do have some album releases coming up here pretty soon that we're going to put out through Bad Christian. So with the new Emory record, uh, you would get sent a survey when that becomes available. You click on the survey. You say, yes, I do want the album. It gets sent to you. It doesn't cost you a thing uh, just because you're a member of the BC Club. So, and there's something that comes cool in the mail for $14 people, right? Like a little welcome packet oh, with yeah, a sticker no, and a button yeah. and... Yeah, we, we send you a little welcome package, um, send you a little sticker button and everything. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do what we can to try and make it uh, everyone feel appreciated. But really, these funds are what kind of lay the foundation. I mean, that's the road show, uh, you guys podcasting in person. Um, we, we've used it to set the foundation and the funding for BC Con, which we're going to be doing in the spring. I mean, a, a lot of these funds we're reinvesting into trying to grow and build the community and just offer a better experience for uh, people that enjoy bad Christian. I think one thing too is, is 
we don't want to understate it too much. This really is an influence, not only like we're joking a little bit that the, the BC Club influences, but also I'm not joking. Like we are planning the next BC Con for early next year, and we want to hear from the BC Club. We're, we are actually asking them, letting them give us influence on who's going to be there, what it's going to look like, what's it going to be. Uh, and that's one of the things that's the coolest about the BC Club. It makes it not just us three guys that are whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it really no does feel like a way bigger thing. And an influence, hopefully, in this culture. Like I, I actually believe, because of this podcast and the people who are supporting it in the BC Club, I feel like we've made a real influence. There are places that I go and I meet people, and when I say bad Christian, they go, "Oh," and they don't even think of it like a bad uh, the podcast. Like I met a guy the other day who was like, "Oh, bad Christian." Almost the way he was talking about it was like a movement. Like so I know not, some not of those podcast. people. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was like, whoa. He's like, like yeah, I ran the, into those people. That bad Christian. I know what in fact, what he said was that bad Christian. What a great idea. He called it an idea, and I was there like, I've never been more proud. Yeah. Like, I was like, wait a minute. That's exactly what we want. We want to present ideas, and some of them are good, some of them are bad, whatever. But we're presenting ideas, and we're not scared of ideas. And the BC Club help, helps make that happen. So if you're one listening, of the, one of these be days, a part of it. One of these days, pastors are going to say this. It's not going to be a joke or anything. They're going to they're a part of their sermon. They're going to say, "Bad Christian said." 30 years ago, that the Lord... And people are going to be like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> the Book of Bad Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, it is true. that I do feel it uh, as an, a very strong impulse and influence on both decision-making and just my grounding in what's going on. I mean, it, it, I mean that sincerely, yeah. apart from the joking part of you all exist in my intestine gut. Um, but it does, it just is a big influence on me. And I also believe when you take one person that's like that, that likes to challenge and push and tell the truth and see what happens, you don't have to have everybody doing that. It only takes a few people to make a big difference in other groups. I mean, you can, be, you can be in a group full of uptight people and take a bad Christian mentality in there, and it can have a pretty large effect, even if it's not the dominant. It doesn't, you know. So I, th- I think the idea that there's other people yep. out there that feel a little bit more permission and reinforcement in our community to go out there and, I don't know, evangelize, but you couldn't say evangelize. How about this? Go devangelize. Devangelize. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it, you can have impact and influence, and the, the BC Club's a good place to, I don't know, just get e- your footing. Evangelize. You know? <laughs> Vandalize. E-vandalize is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Electronic <laughs> vandalism across the internet. T-dong. I like it. <laughs> well, T-Dong, thank you. Yes. T-Dong. Okay, thanks, Taylor. See y'all later. We out. Bye, everybody.